Welcome to Bible Fellowship Church's Sunday Morning Messages. Our podcast records a Sunday morning sermon from our pastor, Dr. Don Trust, other church leaders, and special guests. We hope you enjoy it, find it inspirational and enlightening to your understanding of the Bible. Life can be hard, but God has revealed Himself to us through the Word for our salvation and growth as believers. To help support our ministry, please consider becoming a subscriber and financial contributor. Links to donate are on our website at bfcforyou.org. All right. Uh, let's start out with opening with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. I thank you, Lord, for those who have come out. Um, I thank you, Father, for this opportunity to look into your word and, and uh, discuss the things found there. I pray, Father, that this would uh, be beneficial, that people would uh, not just intellectualize it, but take it to their heart and begin to act upon it and make it part of their life. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the Apostle Peter. I thank you, Father, for the things that uh, he penned under your guidance. I ask, Lord, that that it would um, help each of us, Lord, to understand our relationship with you. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so I've been studying and, and looking at First Peter for a little while and, and using it as part of my uh, morning routine. I get up in the morning and I read through uh, the book of First Peter. And I've just been kind of reading through it. It's only been recently that I've really been digging into what the commentaries have to say and some of that kind of thing. And uh, it's interesting because I had been looking at Constable's commentary and some of the stuff he said in his introduction about the book. And in the Upper Room podcast, Aubrey and I kind of discussed that a little bit. And then this last Saturday at the men's breakfast, we were discussing First Peter again in an aspect of it, dealing with specifically with our conduct, looking at, okay, we know all these things about our character and whatnot, but what does that look like? How does that flesh itself out in day-to-day conduct? And so as we were discussing and talking about that, Bob gave me um, Fruit and Bombs uh, commentary and said he's got a little different take on you know the whole picture of the book than Constable has. You ought to take a look at this. So I started reading through some of that, and it is. It is a little bit different. And so uh, one of the things that was discussed in the commentaries that we talked about on the upper room was who the audience is here. Because the audience, according to Frutenbaum, and it, this is what it says in the, in the first part of the chapter, says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion uh, into Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God. So you have to know who these people were that were dispersed. And uh, whenever they talk about the dispersion, they're talking about Jews that were cast out of Israel or, or left Israel under difficult circumstances and went to these other areas. And so the, the, the obvious or the I guess the most simple reading of that would be that it was Christian Jews who left because they were being persecuted in Jerusalem and in Israel. And so they went out to these other areas um, around Asia, Asia Minor. And so uh, the interesting thing there, though, is that in Constable's commentary, he talks about it being primarily to Gentiles and that they make the differentiation in, in the scripture talk. When he mentions Gentiles, they, they will say that it's um, they're talking about unbelievers. And they're, they're making Gentiles a new term for those who are not part of the church. And so, which kind of gets into some weird theological debates and whatnot about um, Israel and the church and Israel re- uh, being replaced by the church and things like that. 
And so Frutenbaum's take on it was, no, we just need to keep it what it says, which is it's the dispersion, which under the plain reading of that, it was Christian Jews that left and were in these other areas. And we know that Peter was the apostle to the Jews, that, that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles specifically to teach the Gentiles, although he did go to the synagogues and start there first, and then he would, he would take his message to the, to the Gentiles in the area. But then also, um, Peter, he was focused primarily on the Jews, but he also ministered to Gentiles as well. And so uh, looking at that and kind of keeping that in mind as our audience here and who he was talking to, you got to understand that these were people who had left under less than awesome circumstances, right? They, were, they were, had, had to leave their homes in Israel and go out into these other areas in order to avoid persecution, only to find that in these other areas, because their beliefs were still different than those of the people there, they were still under difficult times, under persecution. And so Peter was writing to them to give them instruction, kind of help them in their thinking through all of this, because the common thought in that day among Jews was that if you found yourself in difficult circumstances, there must be some kind of sin in your life. There's something wrong with your relationship to God, and God is somehow punishing you because, because you're experiencing these difficulties. And Peter was trying to explain to them or tell them that, no, 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 that's not the case at all, that everybody experiences difficulties in life. How you respond to those difficulties shows whether or not you are a follower of God or not. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. There's several passages in here we're going to hit in First Peter. Um, and I, I titled the sermon, Comfort and Joy in God's Promises. But I want to talk specifically in First Peter, it deals with, with two pretty large subjects, conduct being one of them, but conduct for a purpose in that we're dealing with all this suffering, and suffering is, is used a lot in First in Peter. That word comes up a lot. And then the other one is glory, glorification. And so Peter is dealing specifically with keeping your mental perspective towards that time when you will, you will meet Christ, either at your death or in the air, and what that's going to look like. And how you live your life now determines what that interaction might look like. So, so let's take a look at that uh, for a little bit this morning. So why do people suffer? Well, if you've ever watched uh, Princess Bride, uh, the, the line is, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. And uh, it's true. You know, it's one of those things in life that everybody deals with suffering, problems, difficulties in life. And uh, we see that principle throughout, throughout all of Scripture. And so, but, but why do people suffer and why is this such a hang-up for so many folks? And it is a hang-up. I've got, I've got acquaintances at work who are atheists, who grew up in the church, who, you know, in fact, I think one of them, his dad was a pastor, and uh, he wants nothing to do with Christianity right now. When I asked him about it, his, his response was, you know, if God is such a great and loving God, why does he allow babies to die or why does you know why does this happen or why does that happen and you hear that a lot from people who who have abandoned the faith or who want nothing to do with the faith because they can't understand how a god that we purport maybe it's because of the way we teach who the lord is um that we've created this this vision or this ideal of god that is not really all of who god is and so a lot of a lot of people um this acquaintance in particular he, he won't even let you talk to him about spiritual things because he's just so angry at God because God allows his suffering to continue. So 
why do people suffer? And I think we see some stuff here in the scripture about it. Uh, I want to start out by looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, for a little while if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So right here in this, in this little passage, we're kind of given sort of the, the blanket view of why this, why this happens and why this is important. And you can see here his, his emphasis on glorification. And we've talked about this before. You know, there's three aspects to our salvation, right? There's justification, that being placed in the body. That sanctification, that process we go through as long as we're living here on this earth of, of growing and maturing and becoming closer to God and walking with God. But then there's that third aspect that Peter talks about or focuses their attention on all the time here, which is glorification. Why are we doing all this? Because we know that at some point we're going to meet Christ. We're, Christ is either going to return or we are going to meet him after we pass away. So there's, there's going to be this, this reunion of our spirit to his spirit that we can finish this relationship that we began uh, when we started with justification. And so he says here that, that, that what we're waiting for is this inheritance. We've got an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. He describes it kind of without describing it, right? He gives you all these attributes to it, but doesn't actually tell you necessarily what it is or, or what it looks like. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, that you have been grieved by various trials. So when difficulties come upon us, when we are suffering, when we witness the suffering of loved ones or whatever, and we're helping them through it, it, there's there's always that aspect where we need to be focusing on Christ. We need to be putting it at his feet. We need to be um, looking to him for our strength um, to get through these things, which is really what he wants. He wants, and John, Don and I were talking a little bit about this this morning, really the growth and maturity in the Christian life is learning to rely or think about yourself less and begin to think and rely on God more. That God is is who we are placing our trust and faith in, but still so often we pull back and we put our trust and faith in our own abilities, in our own self, to be able to do things. And so these trials come along, these things come along in life to test us, to see, okay, you, you say you're a believer of mine, you say you follow me, you say you want to walk with me, show it. Let me, let me bring something into your life right now that... that uh, you know, cause a little difficulty or a little trouble for you, and let's see how you react. Are you are you going to come closer to me and put it on me, or are you going to run off on your own and and uh, talk about how you know life's terrible and it's awful and and I don't know why I'm even here and you know that kind of thing. And so, obviously, this this acquaintance of mine at work, he chose the latter. You know, something happened in his life where he was made aware of something in his life that he couldn't wrap his head around. And instead of drawing closer to God, he said, nope, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm done. So if we go down a little bit further, 
into chapter 3, there's another passage here about the suffering aspect. There's a lot of information in 1 Peter. It is a really good book. If you've not studied it for yourself, I would encourage you to do so. Um, there's just a lot that's here, and we, there's no way we can cover it all on one Sunday. So I wanted to talk on this aspect specifically this morning. So starting in verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. All right, so th- this kind of seems simple, but it, obviously it's a reminder. And it, again, we're thinking about this group of people that had left their homes to avoid persecution and are now in a new land where they're also having difficult times. And so he's trying to get them to think about this in the right frame of mind. And he starts out by telling them, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? And in Second Peter, we talked about how those list of virtues, we call them, and the first one it is, is seek virtue. You know, there's that aspect that if we're doing what's right, if we're, if, if we're doing good, if we're not being malevolent or we're, we're not, you know, trying to fight the man or whatever, those kind of things that we seem to get wrapped up in, is there a reason for people to persecute you or go after you? Not necessarily, right? So he starts with that. He says, you need, to, you need to be seeking virtue. You need to be doing good and doing the right thing. But even if they come after you for that, he said, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And then he tells us not to have, any, have fear. He's telling them not to have fear, to be troubled in their hearts, but to honor Christ. So in other words, again, if you, if you have fear, if you're troubled by what's going on, who's your focus on at that point? Yourself. Right, you're thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about about Christ, about your relationship in Him. So again, he's trying to get them to think properly about how all this works, which helps us. These same principles work for us today. And then he says that he says the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So it, when those trials and those times come upon you, our natural tendency is to fight back. Our natural tendency is to seek to right the injustice, right? And that's not always a bad thing, but he's saying that if you do that, do it with gentleness and respect, that your attitude and how you come back is important because who are, who are we um, confessing? Who, are we, who, who is our life testimony ultimately pointing to? It's pointing to Christ. So if you come back as an ogre and you're going to, beat them into submission into giving you what you want because you feel like you're being, you know, um, dealt with injustice. How does that reflect on Christ? Not well. And so it's one of those things that we need to keep that in mind, that, that we are representatives of Christ, that things that we do in this life reflect either good or bad on Christ. So it says, those of you who revile, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, right? So when the truth comes out, and, and you've dealt with this in, in a good and respectful manner, that when the truth comes out, you should be vindicated in what's happened. 
Now, it's not guaranteed, but it sh- you should be vindicated, and it should put those who tried to come after you in shame. And part of what was going on in, in this area um, was that Christians were going about their business. Um, they were telling others about Christ. People were coming to Christ, okay? And like I think Chuck talked about in his sermon a little while back, you know, local local religions relied a lot on idols and deities and whatnot in order to make money. And so as people became Christians, they stopped buying the idols. And so that caused an economic problem for certain people. And those people were looking for ways to accuse the Christians of doing something wrong so that they could drive them out and get rid of them. But it, but it says here, it gives, him, gives you the, uh, the principle, it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So it's one thing if we're in right conduct, we're in right relationship with the Lord and we come under persecution. It's a whole different set of rules and principles if you actually are doing something wrong, you're doing something evil and you begin getting um, persecuted for that. So better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So the next passage is in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 5. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached, even to those who are dead. Went a little farther than I meant to. The dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So here we have the principle, again, talking about this idea of, of, is it about you or is it about Christ? And so he says that it's obviously, it's about, it's about Christ. It's about God. So we see in this passage that the, he lists out several things that, that the Gentiles do, the unbelievers, and that they're surprised when you don't join them and they malign you for it. And so a way to think about this, maybe in a modern day aspect, is there's a lot of um, holidays and festivals and stuff that happen year round in the United States. Some have at least a Christian background, but most have been, you know, diluted at some point or another with pagan sort of rituals and things involved in it. And so do we participate in all that or do we not participate in all that? What would, what would God have us do? Can, can we still participate in some aspects of it without being tainted by the rest of it or not? You know, these are questions that we kind of have to ask ourselves and determine what is the right thing to do in this situation. And so we need to be seeking God's counsel and God's guidance on this that, uh, of what we need to do. But he, but he gives us the, the answer in verse 5, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So even, even though um, you may be catching flack for either participating or not participating in something that um, the crowd around you is doing, ultimately know that they're going to give answer for what they did to God, that all will be judged at some point. And so it's not that they're getting away with it. I mean, that is one of the things. Another thing you hear a lot from people who have you know, gone away from the Lord or whatever is they say that you know, if God was, was really a loving God and in control of all things, why does he allow evil people to seem to get away with everything? You know, and we know as believers that ultimately they're not going to get away with it. Um, there is judgment coming for them. 
So, and we need to take a, uh, not really a satisfaction in that we should never be happy about somebody being judged, but we need to understand that, that our love for that person in trying to reason with them, help them see the, the ways of the Lord uh, so that they can maybe avoid that judgment. All right, so arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Get your mind wrapped around this, that there is a purpose in the suffering and that it's not all about you know, you being bad and God's coming to get you or, you know, or the things like that that you hear people say sometimes. But, again, I put on the point here, no longer for human passions but for the will of God, right? It's not about us. It's about the Lord. All right, so last one we want to take a look at here, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Uh, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So we see that we are partaking in, in the sufferings of Christ. When Christ told his followers to follow him, he said, what? Take up your cross and follow me. We were never promised that, that our life would not have some kind of difficulty or suffering in it. And unfortunately, there's a brand of Christianity out there that teaches that, you know, if, if, you, if you rejoice and you do all the things that they tell you to do, all the hoops to jump through, that you'll have this life that's wonderful and abundant and full of all these great things. Now, I think as a natural consequence of seeking, being a person who seeks virtue and wanting to do good, your life is definitely going to be better than somebody who is doing these other things, looking to be evil or a meddler. I love that one. All right. So he lists these things in kind of in an order, I think, of severity, um, starting with kind of the worst and working its way down. But that idea of a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or it is the meddler. The meddler one kind of kind of cracks me up because, uh, am I guilty of meddling? Yeah, probably, <laughs> on some level or another. You know, and if you look at it, I think it was in Fruitenbaum's commentary. He talked about this idea of meddling being that you're you're manipulating, you're trying to orchestrate things to work out in a certain way that you want them to happen or whatever. You know, that you're um, trying to get people to do things that you want them to do for you and that kind of stuff. Again, it's that focus of self. You're trying to improve your life by getting certain people to kind of do things for you in a certain way to, to make you happy. Um, not necessarily what Christ wants for them or what Christ um, wants you to be doing. And so I think at some level or another, we're probably all guilty at some point of some of these. Hopefully none of you are murderers. But thief, evildoer, meddler... Yeah, you know, most of us have probably been guilty of taking something that didn't belong to us. So anyway, so but he, what the point is, he doesn't want you to be as a believer 
suffering because you did these things, right? If, if the law or the government comes after you because you've been evading your taxes or you've been, you know, doing whatever that, the, that there's a law against and they find out that, you know, through the pr- proceedings or whatever that, you know, you're the pastor at Bible Fellowship Church or whatever, how does that reflect on Christ? Again, it's not about you, it's about God. And you are a representative of His. So you've got to keep that in mind that, that as we, as we make decisions about how we should go about doing various choices and things in life, we always need to be seeking God's guidance in those things. That, is this the virtuous thing to do? We talk a lot about virtue, which isn't a word that's used a lot anymore, but it's that idea of wanting to do good. The opposite of that is vice which is seeking to gratify your own pleasures. So there, there's virtue and there's vice. And you need to kind of keep that in mind. There, these are two words that are not used much anymore in our vernacular, which kind of tells you a little bit something about our culture, that we don't even talk about virtue and vice anymore. So with that, he says, um, rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Again, th- this letter is really focusing on or dealing with that whole aspect of glorification, that what is to come. And... Again, we might think of it in aspects of, yeah, it's about me in that when I, I go to meet the Lord, I'm at the beam of seat of Christ, and I'm, I'm getting my judgments and rewards for the various things I did in life. That, you know, that's good for me. That's good motivation for me. But again, that's thinking of myself. How does that reflect on Christ? If I live my life through, through these, you know, 55 years now, say I, say I make it to 80, 90, whatever, and pass and go before the Lord, how did that life reflect my belief in Christ? Does he have reason to judge me for things that I didn't do or that I did do that brought shame to the name of Christ? You know, it's something to think about. It's, and, it, and I should have the right mindset that it's not about me in this situation. It's about how this is going to reflect on Christ. How, how does this reflect on, on him and his glory? Because ultimately it's about his glory. So with that, let's stand and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for these passages concerning the role of suffering in our lives. I thank you, Lord, for guiding Peter as he penned these things down to uh, give this information to help those Jews who were escaping persecution for becoming Christians, helping them to have the right mindset on the trials and the tribulations that they they were going through. Lord, I pray that each one of us would seek to use these same principles in our lives as we go through various difficulties in life. Help us, Lord, to be people of virtue and to avoid those things that would be considered vice. Help us, Lord, to be a good witness for you. Help us, Father, and strengthen us as we seek to glorify you in all that we do. And I just pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sunday message. We hope your understanding increased and maybe discovered one or two things you can use to improve your relationship to God and to fellow believers. If you aren't a member of a local church, we invite you to come check out Bible Fellowship Church.